Let's get to the, the message. This is known as, as Passion Week or, or, or Holy Week on the Christian calendar. It's the week leading up to Easter. And so I just want to give you a, a flyby of what took place uh, that week leading up to the cross. It was some 2,000 years ago that on this day, Sunday, known as the Triumphal Entry or known as Palm Sunday, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a, on a mounted donkey and people are shouting Hosanna and, and praise him, and we're going to talk about that today. That's actually today's uh, topic. And so on Monday, though, so tomorrow, when you wake up tomorrow, uh, Jesus, that would have been the day that Jesus cleared out the temple. On Tuesday, Jesus was teaching on the Mount of Olives. On Wednesday, he rested in Bethany. On Thursday, he reclined with his disciples in this borrowed upper room as they celebrated the pastoral, passed over, not pastoral feast, a Passover <laughs> feast. And we talked about that last week. We talked about how John's account has five chapters documenting the conversation at that Last Supper. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 give you some insight into that table conversation. I hope you you had some good table talk this week, asking your families, your, your small groups and friends, those questions. If you missed that message, you can go back and check, check that out. But then it was on Friday. We know it is Good Friday, but man, it was not good for Jesus as he endures what is a mockery of, of justice. He is beaten. He's spat upon. He's whipped. He's humiliated as he's paraded through the streets of Jerusalem as pilgrims pack in to this city. And ultimately, he is executed as a criminal's death, a death on a cross, a Roman execution. It was very brutal. Uh, we'll be talking more about that this Friday. But then on Saturday, he is laid in a borrowed tomb, but it's on Sunday. We know it is Easter Sunday that death could not contain him. The grave couldn't hold him. Jesus rose again. And that's why we celebrate Easter. That, that's worth, worth celebrating. That's why we have church services on Sunday because it's not, not the end of the weekend. It's the beginning of our week. We begin with the resurrection in mind. And so that's, uh, we're, we're so excited for Easter, Easter this year. But that week, that sequence is known as, as Passion Week. And my hope, my prayer for us in this, this online gathering is that, is that our passion for Christ would rise to the level of Christ Passion Week. That, 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 that's such a, a passionate display of love demands a passionate response. Check this out in John 3.16. He says, says, for God so loved the world. He loved you so much that, that it caused him to take action. He saw you in sin. He saw you separated, unable to have a relationship with God. So he takes action and he gave his one and only son. That whoever, and that's you included, whoever, whosoever believes in him would not perish, would not have to die separated from God for all of eternity, but you can be connected to God for all eternity and experience eternal life. Now that's love. Now, I, my name's Tim. I'm proud to be your pastor and I love you. But if my relationship with you requires me to sacrifice Canon, Drake, or Elsie, like, man, we're just not going to have a relationship for very long because I, I love you, but I don't, I don't love you like this. Matter of fact, there's no one walking the earth right now that loves you like this. But, but that's how God loves you. And I just, I just want you to feel that love today. Romans 5.8 says this, but God showed his great love 
not a little bit of love. He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When you were out doing your own thing, when you were out in rebellion against God, God was reaching out to you, displaying his great love for you by sending Jesus to die on the cross for you. So here's the whole case I'm, I'm trying to make today. If you hear nothing else, I hope you hear this. I hope you apply this. I hope you live this. That that kind of love, that kind of passion demands a passionate response. There's an old hymn written in the 17th century by a guy by the name of, of Isaac Watts. And he, he wrote this hymn about, about the cross. And he, he says, when I survey the wondrous cross where the prince of glory died. He says, when I, when I survey the cross, it's not like when I glance at it. It's not when I give it a fleeting look. It's not when I, I hear a rumor about it. When, but when I survey it, there's land surveyors, and what they do is they go out, they, they, they examine this piece of property. They, they, they examine all the elevations and the pitches. They examine all the, the corners and crannies. They, 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 they survey it, giving, giving great attention to the detail of it. Isaac Watts says, when I survey, when I, when I give attention to the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, it demands a response. Because, because love's so amazing, love's so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. My hope is that your passion for Christ raises to the passion of the week that we're in. Today we're going to talk about one of the most most prolific topics, one of the most, most prolific stories in all the Bible is Jesus as he, he triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. It's known as, as Palm Sunday. And I'm going to use that as a springboard to talk to you about this idea of worship and how we respond with passion to the one who displayed such passion for you and for me. And there's, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're found in your New Testament. They're the first four books in your New Testament, all four of them document this, this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry. But for our time today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, uh, or 19 rather, verses 29 through uh, 35. And here's, here, here's what it says. It says, it says uh, as he approached Bethsage and Bethany uh, at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden, which is just, just a pause for a moment, which highlights if, if God knows where a cult is tied, if God knows there's a cult that's never been ridden, if he knows the details of a donkey's life, perhaps he knows the details of your life. But perhaps he knows the good, the bad, the ugly. In the midst of knowing all the details of your life, he still pursues you. He still loves you. He's still inviting you into a relationship with him. And if he knows the details of your life like that, then maybe it's worth us putting our trust in him. Here's what Jesus said. When you find the donkey, untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say to them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. 
As they were untying the colt, the owner asked, why are you untying my colt? Like, what are you boys doing? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their, their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. Now, th this essentially kicks off a parade that would lead Jesus and this, this, this parade, this crowd of disciples, this crowd of followers of Jesus into Jerusalem. And the Bible says they were throwing their cloaks on the donkey, but also they're throwing their cloaks on the road as Jesus is, is, is passing by. And it's this symbol of them, hey, Jesus, we're laying down our very lives to follow you. Jesus, we're all in for you. That's the image of, of throwing their cloaks on the ground. Another gospel account says that they're waving palm branches and, and throwing palm branches on the ground as Jesus is riding into town on this donkey. You might be thinking, what's up with that? Like, why, why palm branches? Palm branches were considered to be a symbol of victory and triumph at this time. It was common practice in the ancient world to welcome home a king or a war hero by laying on the path of which they would ride or walk, they would lay, lay palm branches. It's similar in our day and age of, hey, we're rolling out the red carpet. But that's why this is called the triumphal entry because the people are not only declaring, Jesus, our lives are yours. They're laying palm branches saying, Jesus, you're our deliverer. You're our hope. You're the conquering king. We're all in for you. They're declaring that their allegiance and their lives and their hope is in Jesus. Then, then Matthew's gospel includes a detail that Luke's, he doesn't mention it, but I want to just point our attention to it. And in Matthew's gospel, it mentions that the cult situation was actually prophesied about over 400 years ago. And one of the strongest cases for the, the validity of scripture, the fact that you can build your life on this word, is all the, the prophetic texts that have been fulfilled from cover to cover. One of the strongest cases for the validity of scripture is prophecies. At our Easter service, if you're able to get here in person, man, I hope you can, because every Easter we give a survey, and this year is going to be, be the same way. So I'll be giving a survey in our service, asking you for feedback of stuff that you would like to hear taught about throughout the next ministry year. And so one of those questions on the survey, you can fill in anything. You can say, hey, I would like to know more about the book of Romans. Let's do a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Romans. Or you could say on that survey, man, I'd like to hear teaching on uh, man, how, how to be a godly parent or, or how to deal with my crazy kids, whatever, whatever you want. We just write on there. We'll talk about what the Bible says about that in the coming year. But, but one of the options on there that I've already put on there is, is, is why is the Bible to be trusted? How, how, can we, how do we know the Bible's trustworthy? And, and if we do that series, one of the things that I'll talk to you about is, is it's, it's, it's trustworthy because of its, it's prophetically accurate. You know, the Bible is not just a normal book. It's the Bible is made up of 66 books written by 40 different inspired authors written over a span of 1,500 years. It was written on four different continents. It's written in three different languages. That alone makes this, this Bible, this book, unlike any other book in the history of humanity. But if the Bible were just written by men, 
if just a bunch of boys got together and said, hey, let's, let's write this thing called, called the Bible, they, they surely wouldn't be so foolish as to make, make predictions, to make prophecies, say, hey, this is going to be fulfilled. But, but there's over 300 prophecies about Jesus alone, written over 400 years prior to the Christ arriving here, and every single one of them is fulfilled to minute details like Jesus riding to Jerusalem on a donkey. And Matthew documents that. Here's what he says. He, he quotes Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9. He says, Rejoice! Greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. If all prophecies about Jesus' first coming down to this minute detail are true and accurate and fulfilled in Christ then perhaps we can also trust that all the prophecies about Jesus' second coming is also true down to the very last detail. And you say, well, well, like what? Well, hey, if you want to know more about the end times, then write that on your Easter survey, and we'll, we can do a study on that. But here's what I will say when it comes to Jesus' second coming. Stay ready. Stay ready. When you see what's going on in the news, you see what's happening in the world around us, all I'm saying is stay ready because, because prophecies about his first coming were all fulfilled down to the minute detail and prophecies about his second coming are, are, are being fulfilled down to the minute detail. Stay, stay ready. Your king is coming again. Sit tight. Don't lose heart. He's coming. Back to Luke. Luke chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 36, says this. As he went along, people spread out their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on earth and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus. Now Pharisees Pharisees are, are religious people. Pharisees are people who have, have a very good grasp on Scripture. They know a whole lot of Scripture. They know a whole lot about the Old Testament. They understand a whole lot of the law. They just didn't, didn't know God. They just didn't keep the heart of, of, of the Scripture. They, they lost sight of that. So they're quick to tell people, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, not willing to help lift the burden, but they're, they're quick to point out the burden and lay the burden thick on people. And so here comes the Pharisee in the crowd, and he says, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Like, teacher, rebuke them. They're not doing it right. We don't worship like this. We, we don't respond like this. They're, they're doing it wrong. And look at Jesus' response in verse 40. I tell you, he replied, if they qu keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry. He's like, he's like I will be, God's got to be worshiped. If, if they don't worship, like the rocks are going to cry out. I thought about labeling this message, ain't no rock going to take my place. Now, that's bad English, but it's good preaching, but it's better model to live by. Don't let a rock take your place. Let, let's live life marked by worship. There's a, there's a whole lot in our day and age battling for our worship, isn't it? There's a whole lot of things biting for our time, biting for our 
uh, attention. There's a whole lot of things trying to come in between your love for God and your passionate pursuit of him. And I think there's a battle for our worship. And I just thought we'd kick off this, this passion week since we're trying to take, take the passion of the Christ and inject a little bit of that, that passion into ourselves. And if we're not passionate in our pursuit of Jesus, we'll become like the fickle crowd who on Sunday they're shouting, Hosanna, praise God, you're our king, you're our deliverer, our lives are yours. And then you fast forward to Friday and they're shouting, crucify, crucify him. May that never be true of us, church. We're on Sunday, we're quick to praise God. But then on Friday, we live like he's dead to us. May that never be true of me. May that never be true of you. Let's be people who are all in for him because love's so amazing. Love's so divine. It demands something of me. It demands my, my soul, my life, my, my everything. But there's a lot of things biting for our, our worship and we're, we're a pretty passionate church around here at Central. And, but I just thought, man, this week, in light of all Jesus has done, how can I raise my passion level? How can you raise your, your passion level to match the passion of Christ's pursuit of you? And I thought it would help us just to have a, an understanding of what is worship. And here's what you need to know. We all worship something. If you're taking notes, this is one of your fill in the blanks. We all worship, we all worship something. In other words, we all display passion for something. I'd like to ask you just to take a quick inventory. What is it that's getting your best? What's getting your best time, your best money, your best energy, your best loyalty, your best affection, your best expressions? Whatever that is in your life, that's, your, that's what you worship primarily. And now, let me just say this, because if you're like me, as I took inventory, there's some other things on my list. And I, I think... I think God's okay with us loving some other things. I think God's okay with us having passion in other areas of our life. I think he's actually hardwired us to, to have those. Uh, one of my passions is barbecue. I love barbecue. I love smoking meat. I love eating meat. I love, I love barbecue, especially ribs. And if I love ribs so much, whenever I eat them, it's all over my face. I'm so passionate about them. It's just everywhere. And I think God's okay with us having other passions. I think God's okay with us having other loves, but what he's not okay with is us having other passions, other love ahead of him. God's a, the Bible says God's a jealous God. He's jealous for your relationship with you. And the very first command in the Bible, first, first, first command of the Ten Commandments is you should have no other gods before me. It's the first commandment for a reason. And, and God knows that there's a whole lot of things biting for our worship, trying to get in between our relationship with, with God. But we all worship something and worship is our response to what we value most. Worship is your response. It's your expression to whatever you value most. Whatever I worship becomes my obsession. You say, well, what do you mean? Hey, whatever I give my time, my money, my energy, my loyalty, my affection, and my expressions, that becomes my obsession for better or for worse. Whatever I become obsessed with, I begin to imitate. Whatever I imitate, that's what I become. It was Jack Hayford, a great pastor. He said this, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. In other words, if, if you don't like who you're becoming, 
If you don't like the person that you're becoming, then maybe it's time to take an inventory of who's sitting on the throne of your heart. Who's sitting on the throne of my heart? Because, because whoever's on the throne of my heart, that's ultimately who I'm pursuing. That's what I'm worshiping. That's what I'm passionate about. It becomes my obsession. And that's who I'm going to become more and more like, like that. And Jesus taught us a whole lot. Like, like this, this Bible, like cover to cover, tremendous teaching, tra- transformative truths found in God's word, rewritten over thousands of a year's time to give us this, the, the, the word of God, and it's a beautiful thing. But, but if all the, the Old Testament could be boiled down to one sentence, would you want that? And, and if God were to boil down all, all the Bible into one thing, wouldn't that be pretty important for us to lean into? Wouldn't we want to know what that is and how we can live that out? And so that's what I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about so we can live life of worship, so we can raise our passion level to the, the passion of the Christ in a way that is honoring to God and pleases him. And, and here's what it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus was asked that, that, that very question. He says, one of the teachers of the law came to him and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commands, like of everything in the Old Testament, what one is the most important? And here it is. Lean into this. Hear this. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Now hear this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love him like that. Worship him like that. Worship God with all your soul, all your mind, all your heart, all your strength. In John chapter 4, Jesus actually says, he's, he has this, this conversation with this lady who has a very colorful past, and, and she's talking about a whole lot of things, but he says, hey, let me just tell you one thing. God's looking for worshipers. He's looking for worshipers who pursue him like this, who love him with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, people who worship him in spirit and truth. I just believe today in the midst of denominations, in the midst of different churches, God is scanning the seats. He's scanning the pews, looking for people who will worship him with like this, with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. He's looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for you. How are you doing in this area? of your life. Well, here, here's, if we're going to live this out, here's, here's how I think we can do it. Uh, the first point is this. God wants us to worship him with all of our affections. Your soul is basically your will and your emotions coupled with your mind. So some might say, I, I, I'm not so sure I'm into all that uh, affection business. <laughs> like that's, I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's me. Well, if I told my wife, hey, Tiffany, I, I love you, but I love you. I got you in my heart, um, but I'm not going to hold your hand. I'm not going to hug you anymore, uh, but I still love you. Uh, but that's, that's where it's at. Let me just tell you, before you have lunch, she would have me in a counseling session because she knows something is very wrong in that reality. Because, because love must be expressed. As a matter of fact, if love isn't expressed, it isn't love. God didn't just so love the world that he had warm feelings towards you. 
No, God so loved the world that he, he gave a great sacrifice to himself, I think we would agree. It's, it's God, we must, God wants us to worship with our, with our affections, with our expressions, with our will, with our mind, with our, with our emotions. As we enter into the Passion Week, as we remember God's love for us, wouldn't it, wouldn't it behoove us, and I like that word, behoove, wouldn't it behoove us to raise our passion level to the same level of, of Christ's passion displayed this very week? As we think about all he's done for us, wouldn't it, wouldn't it inspire us? Wouldn't it motivate us? Wouldn't it require us? Wouldn't it demand something of us to raise our, our level of love and passion for him? You might ask, well, well how do we do that? Like, what does that even, what does that even look like? Uh, you might have heard of love languages. Gary Smalley wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. The basic premise is this, that you have a love language. You, your spouse, your kids, your people you work with, everyone on earth, they have a love language. And you like to communicate love in the way that you like to receive love. But here's what you need to know. Their love language is different than yours. And so you can communicate love the way that you like to, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to receive it unless you communicate love in their, in their language. This is foundational for people who are married for sure, but it'll, it'll transform any relationship you're in, just understanding their love languages. And so here's what you need to know. God has some love languages. They're the center of your Bible, the longest book in the Bible is this book of Psalms. And Psalms just lays out ways that, that, that God likes to be worshiped. Some of his love languages, he, he sa- talks about things like, like clapping, Things like shouting, praying, dancing, sacrificial giving, lifting up of, of hands, singing, worship him with musical instruments. All those are ways God wants us to worship him, to display our affection for him. The very last chapter of the book of Psalms, it's is Psalms 150. And Psalms 150 starts like this. It says, it says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's an interesting word, praise. It's the Hebrew word halal. H-A-L-A-L. Halal. It's where we get our English word, we get our word hallelujah from it. And so if you hear songs that say hallelujah, that simply means praise the Lord. And you can look this up. You can look up in a, in a Hebrew dictionary. What does that word mean? What does halal mean? Here's what it means. Four things it'll tell you. To celebrate, to boast, to rave, to be calamorously foolish. <laughs> Literally, that's what it means. And I don't know about you, but, but to celebrate loudly, to boast, to rave, to make oneself calamorously foolish oftentimes look more like what I experience on a Saturday at the ballpark than it does on Sunday in a church service. On Saturday at the ballpark, at my kid's game, if I celebrate, if I boast, if I rave, if I'm calamorously foolish for the game, they say, wow, that guy's a fan. He's a big fan. Now, if I do that on Sunday, they say, that dude's a fanatic. But listen to me, we're not fanatics. We're people who've encountered the very living God. We're people who've experienced, my life was going this way, but Jesus, you rescued me. 
You you transformed my life. God, I'm so grateful. What can I do besides praise the Lord? I got to worship him with all of my affections in light of all he's done done for me. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for a surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of trumpets. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourines and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. And after you clash those cymbals, praise him again with resounding cymbals. Let everything that happens breath. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm just inviting us to rise our passion level to the appropriate passion level of the Christ that we see and experience this week. Last week, I talked to you about a couple verses or a couple chapters, rather, five chapters. uh, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, there it is, uh, all taking place at the Last Supper. But uh, you rewind to the previous chapter, John 12, 12, is where we read about this Palm Sunday. We read about this triumphal entry of Jesus, John 12, 12. But if you rewind just, just one more paragraph to the beginning of, of John 12, we, we read this story about a woman who on Wednesday was celebrated at this this dinner. Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus was raised from the dead through this celebration in Jesus' honor. And and at this dinner party, at this celebration, this woman with a, a very colorful background, she shows up and she has a, a whole pint of perfume of pure nard. The Bible says it was worth a year's wage. I mean, this, this very expensive bottle of perfume. And she, in the middle of the party, she, she disrupts everyone. She makes her way to Jesus and she breaks open that bottle as the aroma bursts into the air and floods the whole house and everyone's senses are awakened and she pours this perfume on Jesus' feet and she begins to use her hair to wipe his feet. And it's on the Passion Week as Jesus sits with his disciples at the Last Supper, as this aroma from her worship fills that upper room. As Jesus is riding in on the donkey, it's, it's this aroma that he smells. As Jesus is betrayed, executed, I believe the aroma of her worship is still on him. And at this dinner, one of the disciples, his name was Judas Iscariot, and he oversaw the money for all the disciples. And he's like, Jesus, this is wrong. This is an entire year's wage. Like, this is, this is too radical. Like, like, Jesus, we should have taken this perfume and sold it and given the money to the poor, even though Judas just wanted it for himself. And Jesus looks at Judas, and, and he says something. He says, hey, Judas, the poor you'll always have, but you will not always have me. And, and Judas is like, well, this is radical. This is, this is crazy. And Jesus makes this response. She has been forgiven much, therefore she loves me much. She's experienced my radical grace, 
Therefore, she's worshiping me in a radical way. She's experienced radical freedom. So she's worshiping me in a way that's appropriate to meet the passion of Christ. I'm just inviting you, church. Do you remember what he's rescued you from? Did you remember where you were? Do you remember the circumstances and situations surrounding that occasion? Do you remember how he came through for you when you thought all hope was lost and he showed up in your life? Hey, listen, church, if you've been forgiven much, you're going to love him much. If you've experienced radical grace, you're going to display radical love. That's what this woman taught us. And Jesus said, hey, wherever this gospel's preached, the story of what she's done will be preached as well. There's a Marine Corps base in, um, in it's called Cherry Point. It's found in, in North Carolina. Uh, it's an air station that was built in 1941 to send aid around the world to Marines who are on the ground, and they send in airstrikes from literally, literally all over the globe. And if you've ever been on a, a military base or heard a, a, one of these jets take off, you know, like, it is, it is crazy loud, right? Like, it, it shakes the foundation of the earth. Like, the whole building shakes. Like, your insides are shaking. Like, it, it's intense, now, naturally, in North Carolina, for this, this Marine Corps air station called Cherry Point, uh, the community around it wasn't super excited about all the noise, all the, all the, 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 the noise pollution, as they would call it. And so many years ago, this, this air force, this military station, the Marine station, they, they put this sign up outside of, at the entrance, part of the noise, it's the sound of freedom. Part, part of the noise is just the sound of freedom. And I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about this idea of worship. And I thought, started thinking about how we can raise the level of our passion to meet the passion level of Christ. And some of you in this online experience, like you, you're just looking in. You don't know Jesus yet. You don't know God. You haven't experienced his radical grace. You haven't experienced his rescuing power. But if you ever come to one of our in-person gatherings and we get a little loud, I would just say, pardon the noise. It's only the sound of freedom. When you gather in this room, it's, it's a group of people whose lives were headed in a very different direction, but God rescued us. And we've tasted some of his grace. We've tasted his forgiveness. We've had a taste of the abundant life that he offers us. And so we worship him with all that we got. So pardon the noise. It's the sound of freedom. If you're ever in the room and I'm, I'm here and I'm worshiping, I'm sorry, I'm six foot six and my arm span kind of looks like a helicopter or, or, or an airplane flying through the air, but, but, but you know me as your pastor, but let me just tell you, I haven't always been here. You don't know where he rescued me from. I wish I could communicate to you the brokenness I felt. I wish I could articulate the hope that he's given, the shame he's erased, the condemnation He's lifted. And so when we worship, I would just say, hey, part of the noise. It's just the sound of a man who's been set free. We need to raise our level of passion to meet the passion of what he's done for us. That's my invitation to you this week. Part of the noise, it's only the sound of freedom. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. God wants you to worship him with all of your affections. Worship isn't a spectator sport. 
We don't just worship when they say, hey, whenever they play my favorite song, then I'll lean in, then I'll worship. No, 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 no. We don't worship because of the song that's playing. We worship because the one who we're worshiping is worthy. We're called to enter in. We're called to let the sound of freedom be resounding. Second, I got to hurry here. Um, I should be wrapping up and I got two more points. Here we go. Uh, Number two, uh, God wants us to worship him with our attention. God wants us to worship him with all of our intention. This is how we worship God with all of our minds. The way we worship God with all of our minds is we give him our attention. What we love most, we think about most. I remember whenever I first met Tiffany. I remember the first year we were dating. I remember the first year we were, I thought about her all the time. I still think about her all the time. Sometimes I'll call her and be like, hey, babe, what's happening? Nothing. What, you need something? No, I'm just, just calling to say I love you. Hey, uh, we don't have three kids because I'm a super buff guy. I'm just saying I love my wife. I think about her a lot. I give her my attention. God wants to have your attention too. Listen, God, God wants to be not only in your mind, but he wants to be on your schedule. He desires to be in your calendar one of the ways that we worship him is we give him the best of our time. For me, my best, I'm at my best in the morning. I typically try to get into the office early. That's when I, I write my sermons. That's when I'm, I'm the sharpest, most creative. I can crank out content a lot quicker that way. And so for me to give God my best of my time, it's the first part of my day. But before anything else, I just want to give God my first. I want to give him my attention and let him speak to me and, and let me talk to him about some things going on in my life. And I just invite you into that. And I, can I invite you to make an appointment tomorrow with the creator of the universe? Not, not, not so that if you do that, he will love you. No, 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 no. He already loves you. Listen, listen, just create some space in your calendar to say, God, I'm making an appointment with you because I want to worship with all my mind. I'm going to give you my, my first, my best attention. Here's what I invite you to do, uh, five, 15 minutes. Five minutes, read God's word. Five minutes, just worship him because he's worthy. Five minutes, just talk to him about your day. 15 minutes, we can all make a 15-minute appointment with the creator of the universe, right? Like, let's give him some of our attentions. Romans 12, 2 says this, uh, don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Like, what a statement, Don't be so well adjusted to the Bay Area that you fit into it without even thinking. Here's what the invitation is. Instead, fix your attention on God. And here's what he'll do. He'll transform you. He'll change you from the inside out. Listen, Christianity isn't behavior modification. We just adjust everything on the outside. No, we allow God to do a deep work on the inside of who we are. And as he does a deep work in our heart, it changes the way that we we live. Let's worship God with all of our mind. Let's, let's give him the first. Let's give him our best. Let's, let's love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul. We're going to give him our affection. Let's love God with all of our mind. We're going to give him our attention. Let's love God with all of our strength and give him our abilities. This is the third and final point. God wants us to worship him with our abilities. Hebrews 13 15 through 16 says this, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. How do we do that? How do we continually, like nonstop, continually offer to God a sacrifice 
of praise. Well, here's one way, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So we're going to use our, our words to talk about it. We're going to use our words to praise him. We're going to use our mouth to declare his goodness, to talk about how faithful he's been, to tell, tell our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, God's been good. We're going to continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. But then check this out. And do not forget to do good. Share with others. For with such sacrifices, check this out, God is pleased. Don't forget to do good. Don't forget to share. God's pleased when you do that. Worship him with all of your abilities. You say, how, how can I worship God with my physical abilities? Well, here's one way. Uh, for, we're having baptisms on April 24th. If you haven't been baptized, one of the ways you worship God with all of your abilities is to get baptized. You're physically capable of doing that. You can, you can text us at 408-944-5402. We'd love for you to, to get baptized. Just say, hey, baptism. We'll, we'll shoot a text back to you, work out the details. If you don't live in the area, we'll, we'll find a partner church to get you baptized. If, you, if that doesn't work out, we have some other ideas in mind. If you live in the area, man, April 24th is your day to get baptized. That is something within your physical abilities to do. It's in your abilities to text us. It's in your physical abilities to, to get baptized. It's simply where you're above water, representing your old life, and then you're buried with Christ, representing your old life is gone, and you're raised to new life. Just as Jesus was buried and raised again to new life, you identify with him in that, in his death, burial, and resurrection, so you too can live a new life. Listen, it, it is your best next step if you have not been baptized. That is the most important thing you could do to worship him with your physical abilities. Another way, obviously, is to, to serve. It says, and do not forget to do good. Share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Listen, when you invest your time into the kids and help kids find and follow Jesus, you are doing good, and with such sacrifices, God's pleased. For, for the guys here in the room recording this online service experience, they're doing good so that you can find and follow Jesus with their sacrifice of their time, God is pleased. You can serve in that way. When people invest in students, they're doing good and God is pleased. When people welcome people onto this campus from the streets to the seats, they're doing good. God is pleased. For those of you on this online chat, in this, this online service experience, as you serve God by being a, a host in this online service, you're doing good. God is pleased. When you give financially, representing your week and the fruits of your work, you give to God. God's pleased. You're doing good. In closing, let's worship God with all of our abilities. Let's worship God with our affections. Let's worship God with our attention. Let's worship him with all of our abilities. As we enter into this passion week, may, may our passion level rise for the occasion. May our passion level rise to the level of the passion of the Christ. Listen, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Such display of passion from Christ demands a passionate response from his followers. May we be people who love the Lord your God with all of our heart. May, may you love God with all your soul. 
May you love God with all your mind. May you love God with all of your strength because this whole Bible is boiled down to worshiping God in this way. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. And God, as we remember your passion week, this week, God, we declare we're going to raise our passion level to meet you there. We're going all in, heart, soul, mind, strength. We're going to love you that way with all of our affection, all of our attention, and all of our abilities, declaring that, God, our life is yours. As you continue to, to pray, I just want to talk to a group of people in this online service experience who maybe you don't know God yet. That can all change today. The Bible says this in Romans, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now listen, that's a very easy thing to talk about. That's a very easy thing for me to articulate. It's a very easy thing for us to cognitively grasp, but it will cost you everything. Jesus gave his whole life for you. His invitation is for you to surrender your life to him, to go all in. If that's where you are today and you want to begin a real relationship with Jesus, I invite you to, to take that step with me. It begins by talking to God. We call it prayer. So say a prayer with me like this. Say, God, I realize I've, I've sinned. I've missed the mark in some areas of my life. But God, I believe that Jesus dying on the cross paid the penalty that I deserve paid the penalty for my mistakes. God, I believe that through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it bridges the gap between where you are and where I am so that now I can know you and have relationship with you. I believe, Jesus, you rose again. So I'm asking you to come alive in my heart, in my life. And my commitment to you today, God, is I'm gonna love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if that's your prayer today, man, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, we're celebrating with you big time. Uh, you can text us. Again, that number is 408-944-5402. That's 408-944-5402. Super excited for the journey you're on. And uh, however we can partner with you, we want to. We got some resources available that we think can help you begin this relationship with Jesus and answer some questions that we think you might have. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you in that regard.